Let us turn now for our scripture reading to the book of 2 Samuel and the ninth chapter. The book of 2 Samuel and the ninth chapter, commencing our reading out the verse 1, and we read through to the verse 13, which is the end of the chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is the word of the Lord. Let us hear together God's word, his holy, infallible, inerrant word. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan, hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake. And I will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Now therefore, and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread alway at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Amen. So reads God's holy word. May the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading of his most holy, infallible, inerrant, and sacred word, all to the glory of his name and to the good of our needful and never-dying souls. Let us come before the Lord together in prayer. It is our great privilege, but also our great duty to come to God in prayer and to bring all of our petitions to him. Well, dear congregation, we have just sung in that lovely hymn concerning God's 
covenant mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do rejoice in the covenant blessings. God is a covenant-keeping God. We see here David keeping to his covenant promise, which he made with Jonathan. Remember all those years ago, before he was king. So if we turn now to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We've seen, haven't we, through our consecutive week-by-week studies, how just recently David has defeated all of the enemies that were opposing Israel. The enemies, really, we could say of the church, ultimately. People of this world, the Canaanites, unbelieving heathen. And uh, if you notice, just back in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about him from all his enemies. And it's mentioned again later in that chapter. And remember, after David had rest from his enemies, he desired that the Ark of the Covenant come and reside in Jerusalem. Remember how David captured Jerusalem with his men? It was held captive by the Jebusites for many, many years, even since the days of Joshua, well over 500 years. David has been built a house by a foreign king. Trees of cedar have been hewn down. Workers have been supplied by Hiram, the king. And David sitting in all of his opulence, David now in Jerusalem, and then seeing the ark residing Simply in a tent, he didn't see that that was right. David's desire was firstly that God would have a right and fitful place. He didn't see that the temple, that the tabernacle was as fitly and as grand as it should be. And the Lord said he would build the temple, but it will not be in David's time. It would be Solomon. But then the greater than Solomon would come into this world, the Lord Jesus who in the days of Herod, when he looked at the temple that was in fact rebuilt and greater, well, he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. Of course, he was speaking of his body. And God has promised, has he not, in Revelation, that he will dwell with his people. The word tabernacle means to dwell with. We're told at the close of the book of the Revelation that God will tabernacle with his people forever and forever. And now as New Testament believers, Christ has truly come to dwell in our hearts. And it's not so much now the place where we meet, but it's the spirit in now which we meet. Where two or three are gathered in his name, the Lord says, Lo, am I there in the midst. But now we must rewind and come back here to Second Samuel chapter 9. David has been given rest from his enemies. David has been told that he is not to build a temple. Solomon will build it. But David, he not only does not forget God, does not forget the temple, but he does not forget the promises he's made to his friends, and particularly Jonathan. Jonathan, as you know, was his particularly close friend. Their hearts were knit together in the Lord. They had kindred minds, just as Paul said of Timothy 
he could find no other man that was as kindred mind as he. Jonathan and David, their hearts were knit together. He loved him, we're told, as his own soul. These two men had great affection one for another. It was because of the Lord. It was that that cemented their hearts together, their love in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you do remember, I trust, that before David was king, Jonathan's father, who was the wicked king, sought to do him great harm, although David never ever did him any harm. David never spoke ill of him. David only did good to him. It was all because of envy, wasn't it? That's why Saul hated him, because he knew in his heart David was a man after God's own heart, but Saul was not. Saul was a worldly man. Saul was always self-seeking, self-centered. He was always concerned about his own glory. Remember when he had victory over the enemies, he set himself up a place. But rather, David's heart was always to glorify and to magnify God. And that's the spirit of everyone that is truly born again. That God should be glorified. Well, even after Saul died, remember how David refused to speak ill against Saul. How he showed kindness even to Saul's household. How different to man. Man by nature sometimes, if you hate somebody, this is the world I'm thinking here, you hate, sometimes people hate the whole family for no reason. And that's, that's wrong, isn't it? That's not the spirit. That's not the spirit of a Christian. That was not the spirit of David. David was a man of great strength. And I'm talking strength of character. A moral man. He was meek. In his meekness, he left wrath to God. And now God has exalted him. Hasn't he? Paul says in Romans 12, verse 17, Recompense no man evil for evil, provide all things honest in the sight of all men. Now notice, if you just turn there, Romans 12, verse 18, If it be possible, as much as it lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. That is, don't take vengeance. But rather give place unto wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him a drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, friends, you heap fires of coal upon one's head when you show them kindness. It must pain their conscience. When you are kind to them, and they're evil, when David was Christ-like, wasn't he? As Paul was, he was meek. Was the Lord Jesus meek? Yes, he was meek. He said this, he said, take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Friends, if you're not meek, and if you are always seeking to take vengeance, you'll not have rest in your soul. You'll not have peace. You'll have, as James says, bitterness, malice, and envy. Where do these things come from? James says they come from the pit. They come from below. 
They're not from God. But the wisdom, James says, that is from above is first peaceable. Peaceable, easy to be entreated, and so on. Now, so when David was persecuted, what did he do? He didn't spoke, speak evil of Saul, just like the Lord Jesus. When he was reviled, it says, if you turn there, 1 Peter 2, 22, concerning the Lord Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who in his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. It's so important that we grasp this, friends, because there's so much in this world to weigh us down, and the devil will find ways, will he not, to weigh us down with bitterness, malice, and envy. There's no place for it in our hearts. We have to leave these things with God. David was a gracious man. And Peter says, Christ has left us this example to be in the same way who when he was reviled. My, I tell you, I've met some lovely Christians in my life. Really, I have. I've known ministers who people have spoken unkind things about them. And of course, all these things are not true. We know, and I've known these men for years. And the way that they have treated some of their their enemies has really humbled my soul. And that ought to be for each and every one of us, of a gentle spirit. That is the true strength of a man. Vengeance and bitterness shows weakness. It's not a strength in a man. It's a weakness, rather. 1 Peter 4.19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing. You carry on doing well as unto a faithful creator. Your creator will keep you, and he will sustain you. If you are his, what does he say in his word? The eyes of the Lord are upon them that fear him, and that hope in his mercy. Isn't that wonderful? That's who the eyes of the Lord are upon. They're not upon the proud, the arrogant. Psalm 56, verse 11, this is what David did. He said in Psalm 56, verse 11, In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Let me repeat it. David said, in God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Friends, you'll not know the sweetness of that until you do it, until you are a doer of that. It's a blessed thing to know God has his hand upon you and that you have no fear because God sees everything and he will take care of of your enemies. And this is why Peter says to those who are of what we call the diaspora, there were many Christians in Peter's day, the Jews who were persecuted in foreign lands. He said to the younger, he said, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, 
The persecution came under the mighty hand of God. That was God's mighty hand. Who ordered the persecution on the church? God did. Peter says, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It's exactly what David did. Under the persecution of Saul and his enemies, David humbled himself. And now see, David is exalted. He, see him in the palace. See him. He's overcome all of his enemies. In the Lord's time, always the Lord's time, he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And then he says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. As you go through trials, as you go through difficulties, cast your care. The word there literally means roll your burdens onto the Lord. Friends, he loves it when we roll our burdens onto him and we cast all of our care upon him because he he loves us. He cares for us. So we see here David now exalted and triumphant over his enemies. What a picture of the Christian in the Lord's time, exalted because he's walking humbly with his God. Now, friends, David hears rest from his enemies, but he doesn't forget his friends. It's interesting. We, we saw how David, first of all, when he's in his palace, he doesn't forget God. But now David doesn't forget his friends, does he? I suppose he could be sitting there in bitterness or All that Saul has done to me, all that that household has done for me, good riddance. That'd be a wrong spirit, wouldn't it? But David here, he doesn't forget his friends. He made a covenant promise to Jonathan, remember. And so we read here, David said, Is there any yet, yet any that is left, verse 1, of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now the theme of the passage we could say in just these uh, short 13 verses, it's not a long chapter, is the kindness of God to a dead dog. We say the kindness of God here because it is the kindness as we'll see in verse uh, 6 and following. It is the kindness of God ultimately because this covenant was made in the Lord's name, and we read here uh, of the kindness of kindness for Jonathan's sake. It's the kindness of God. It was God working through David to a dead dog. Now, why do we say a dead dog? Because this is what Mephibosheth says about himself. This is the way he views himself. This lame son of Jonathan. Jonathan had a son. And remember, he was dropped at the age of five. The nurse dropped him. We read that in our previous studies. We'll visit it again. Now notice, when Mephibosheth here is fetched, in the verse 7 I'll read, he's the only survivor here that we read of at the moment. And uh, notice what he says when he comes before David the king. And David said unto him, Fear not. For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. 
And notice this, and he, that is Mephibosheth, bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? So the kindness of God, and even the year through David to a dead dog. Now, do you remember what happened? It was that time when Saul and his sons, including Jonathan, went out to fight the Philistines. And they were slain in the battle. And then what was really sad is that some of the leading, the generals, men of Saul's army, turned on Saul's house and killed the family. It was an awful time. And then one of the maids takes this little boy out of the house, Jonathan's son, upon hearing the news and makes a run for it. And in so doing, she drops the little boy, and he becomes lame for the rest of his life. If you just turn back to 2 Samuel 4, the verse 4, you notice this maid comes to rescue this little boy, 2 Samuel 4, 4. And we read there, 2 Samuel 4, 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son, that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came, or the news came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, that is, that they were slain. And his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So we read of that there now. It's quite cruel, isn't it, the way that even the men of Israel turned on the house of Saul. And even his son, remember Ishbosheth, he was another son of Saul. Saul had several sons, and Ishbosheth, remember, became king. And remember, the name Ishbosheth means man of shame. And we'll think here of this name Mephibosheth. It means breath of shame or breathing shame. That's what this little boy is called. After his uncle, similar name. So here we have Jonathan's son survived. And uh, remember how, if you just turn back to 1 Samuel 18, remember how David made an oath with Mephibosheth, uh, sorry, with uh, Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father. As I said, they were best friends. Uh, Remember, here's another thing to to bear in mind while you're turning there, that Jonathan was heir to the throne, wasn't he? He should have, by all accounts, succeeded Saul, his father. But he, he saw that through the prophet Samuel, that David would be the anointed king. He believed that. He believed the word of God. And he did not want to stand on his rights as heir to the throne. Humble man. There's a picture, isn't it? We could say of the believer. Jesus Christ is king. King of my heart. I must decrease. He must increase. First Samuel 18, and it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking to Saul. This is David that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. 
And Jonathan loved him as his own soul and took him, David, that's David that day, and would let him go no more to his father's house. Saul kept David. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon them and gave it to David and his garments even to even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. So he gave him these important things that he had, his sword, his bow, his girdle. These are all sort of tokens of his pledge of allegiance to David. And then as time went on, we know what happened. David only did Saul good. But remember how the Lord gave David victory over enemies. And Saul had an increasing hatred for David. And he tried to kill him time and time again. Remember, many times. And then you come to chapter 23, 1 Samuel 23, and notice the verse 17. We read how Jonathan knew David would be made king. And then he made a covenant with him. Notice it says in the verse 17 of 1 Samuel 23, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. And now notice, And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that thou also, Saul my father, knoweth. It's interesting here. We know Mephibosheth is going to sit at the table with David, the king. And this is what what Jonathan wanted, didn't he? And and he was prepared to, to give up his honor, his glory. That David would have the glory. And we read here in verse 18, And they two made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Now, as we come to this passage, and I'm going to explain later on, I do see that David here is a wonderful foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ that is to come, and how he saves sinners, beggarly sinners. There was nothing impressive here about Mephibosheth, this lame man. And we, quite frankly, when the Lord saves us, there's nothing impressive in us. We're weak, we're feeble, we're lame. We can't do do anything for the Lord. We can't give him anything. We're poor. We can't help the great king of kings. He, It is he that makes us useful. And we see here, friends, Many things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, foreshadowings of him. Notice, firstly, the kindness of God. Let us see this. David here takes the initiative, and and it's always the way. Nobody came to David. David remembered. And you know, it's, it's true about people, isn't it? It's often said when people are gone, people forget each other, don't they? And you know how it is at funerals. People always speak well about a person, but while they lived, they weren't very kind to them. But they were such good people when they were at the funeral. You know, people speak well about somebody, but never give them the time of day in their life. But now Jonathan's gone. But Jonathan's not forgotten, is he? Jonathan is dead and buried. 
But David doesn't forget him. And David here is seeking to show kindness and mercy to those we could say that sought him not. Mephibosheth is not seeking David. But in fact, we could say he's a man in hiding. Isn't he? His life was at threat before. And we're told here, David has to say to him, fear not. Now, it was very common for kings in these days to completely wipe out an old dynasty, to kill every member of that family. That, that was the normal thing to do. But that's not the spirit of David, is it? So that they pose no threat to the king. So ordinary kings would execute a former dynasty so that they didn't pose a threat. And technically, we could say, technically, Mephibosheth was one who stood in line to be king. If, if the Israelites wanted to be funny about things, they could say, well, here's a succeeder to Saul. But Mephibosheth, well, he was not sought or he was not seeking the Lord, but David seeks him out, and this is true for us in salvation. The Lord seeks his lost sheep in this world, helpless as they are. Now, if you just turn back to 1 Samuel 20, verse 13, we read, 1 Samuel 20, the verse 13, this is the kindness of the Lord. It's not simply David's kindness. Remember, there was a covenant made between David and Jonathan. And I'm going to show you here that this is actually the kindness of the Lord. 1 Samuel 20, verse 13. They come again and reiterate their covenant. We read from chapter 18, now chapter 19 of 1 Samuel, verse 13. The Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do the evil, then I will show it thee and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace. And the Lord be with thee, as he hath given been with my father. And thou shalt not only, while yet I live, show me the kindness, notice there, of the Lord, that I die not, but also that thou shall not be cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. So you notice there in the verse 14, the kindness of the Lord. And this is what Jonathan is saying, is even the smiting of all the enemies. How is this going to happen, David? The Lord is going to cut off thine enemies. But David, do not forget me. They made a covenant. They, were, they cut a covenant, literally. But it's called, in verse 14, the kindness of the Lord. That's an important phrase. So we could say that David's motive here and seeking for anybody that was yet surviving from Jonathan's or Saul's house was because of that covenant kindness that, and that covenant that he made with Jonathan. 
But it's also a merciful kindness, isn't it? He's being very merciful here. It's on account of mercy. David didn't need to do this. But he's doing so, and doing so to somebody who is completely unbeknown to him. So Jonathan, he's dead, but now we see the servant brings in here Mephibosheth. There's this man, and somebody, by the way, is looking after him. It's amazing. Notice what the servant says. Verse 3, And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Now somebody is looking after this man. What a kind man he was, looking after this lame young, or, or this lame son of Jonathan. Now even the name Lodibar, which means a place of no reputation, that's what it means, or no blessing, no honor. And that's us. Do we not come from Adam? And was not Adam a sinner? We have nothing we can claim good. Mephibosheth was of the house of Saul. But on account, friends, of that covenant that David made with Jonathan, Mephibosheth is called for, bring him in. And David blesses him. And he provides him servants. Notice in this chapter at the end, Zeba, all of his sons and all of his servants become his servants, Mephibosheth's. And all the land that Saul had is given to Mephibosheth. Everything that was lost. And you think about that in terms of us. Adam lost this world, as it were. And there will be a paradise restored, my friends. There's a paradise that was lost. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, our great King, who is merciful, who is kind, will restore to us a better world than this. Isn't that wonderful? And we will sit at his banqueting table forever and ever and enjoy his mercy. It is all because of the covenant. We know from that psalm too that the Father made a covenant with his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou art my Son. I have given thee the heathen as an inheritance. Amongst the many nations of this world, God has out of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation a people. And one day we shall see them and they will all stand before him, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and before his glory. When was that given us? The Bible tells us that grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Paul says to Titus in Titus 1, 2, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You say, well... Who did he promise 
if the world did not even exist and there were no angels, his son, a covenant was made with the son, father, son, and Holy Spirit. What did the Lord Jesus Christ say in John 6, 37? All that the father giveth me shall come to me. Do we realize that in all eternity past, God gave the Son, God the Father gave the Son a select people, what the Bible calls many, many times. And I get extremely annoyed when people say, well, there's no such thing as election in the Bible. My friends, have you read the Bible? In almost every epistle in the New Testament, it speaks about the elect who are predestined to eternal life. And it is precisely to them that grace was given them in Christ Jesus before the world began. And that's amazing. On account of the love that the Father has to the Son, just as Jonathan and David had a love, the Father determined to give the Son a people, but it would not be at no cost Now you notice here, these types, they always fall short, don't they? In one sense, this would be no cost to David. Because all the land that was Saul's is going to be given to Mephibosheth. So in a sense, David is not paying for it. And we notice that even the servant that is given here, Zeba, while he's serving David, he is going to be Mephibosheth's servant. But David will still sit and eat, though it may even be his own food, but he has the privilege of sitting at David's table with David's sons. Now, can you imagine sons such as Ammon? And uh, we can think of some of David's wicked sons, how their hearts must have been. Who is this? Lame man sitting at the table with us and our Father. Well, there's a picture of grace. There's a picture of the the prodigal as well. Friends, if we are ever at the marriage supper of the Lamb, it is entirely of God's grace, isn't it? And entirely of God's mercy. The Lord Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven to do mine own will. Not not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will, this is the Father's will that sent me, that all which he hath given me I shall lose nothing, but shall raise it up at the last day. Now you, you read and As you study John's gospel, it was also the Father's will that the Son should lay down his life for the sheep. And they are described as the purchased sheep. And that's why they cannot be lost. Because they have been bought by the Lord Jesus Christ at the cost of his own blood. And that's why they that come to him, because he puts his spirit in them so that they do come to him, shall come to him, and they will never perish, because not only are they drawn, but they've been bought, they've been purchased, 
and they shall ever abide with him in the new heavens and in the new earth. This is amazing. Now, David was obliged, just as the people of old were obliged to commit themselves to covenant promises. Let me just take you back to um, Joshua chapter 9, verse 15. Remember how under Joshua, when they conquered the land, that the Gibeonites came. And remember, they pretended to be from far, far away, but they weren't. Remember how they came with clothes that were ripped apart and came with water bottles empty. They made themselves look quite disheveled and, and so on. But remember how Joshua and the men made a covenant with the Gibeonites to protect them. It says there in Joshua 9.15, when they concerning them, that uh, the covenant was made. So you can read that whole chapter. But later on, if you turn to 2 Samuel 21, that covenant was still binding. Remember, Saul broke the covenant that Joshua had made with the Gibeonites centuries before. And then we read in 2 Samuel 21, verse 1, And there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, So something's wrong. Well, what is it? And the Lord answered, it is for Saul. You see, God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget, notice, and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. Israel had made a covenant with the Gibeonites. And because Saul broke it, God sent a famine. You see, God keeps promises. Now notice, and the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not the children of God, but the remnant of the Amorites and the children of Israel had sworn notice unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. You see, Israel had sworn to the Gibeonites. We will protect thee. But Saul, in his anger, and this is, this is a long while afterwards, that all this trouble has come because this covenant was not kept. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and wherewith shall I make atonement, that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? See that? The Lord's people were being held back here because... A covenant that they had made was not being kept. But you know, Paul tells us about God. He says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God cannot lie. And God has to stick to his promises. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is exactly what he has done. And kindness here is shown to a man who describes himself as a dead dog. Then David, King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir. 
Now you notice verse 6, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, my servant. And this is, let me say, how every true believer sees himself before the Lord. What am I, Lord? You remember the Sumerian woman who said, even the dogs eat under the table? Remember how the Lord said, it's not meat for thee, thou art a foreigner, in effect. But she said, yea, Lord, but even the dogs do eat of the children's bread. And you see, every true believer understands their unworthiness before God. Before the King of Grace. We have a very good and picture here, don't we, of how unfit sinners are before a worthy Savior. David was worthy in terms of his character. He was not a perfect man, granted. But we can see something of the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. This man is humble, isn't he? And he makes no claim upon David. He doesn't come and say, Oh, my, my grandfather Saul. No doubt he would have heard about the love that his father Jonathan had for him. But he couldn't even claim that, could he? Could he claim that? Friends, none of us can claim anything, even of our family. Well, my father was a Christian. Well, so what? You and I are dead dogs before God. You know, we read in Ecclesiastes, about a dead dog and the lion, don't we? Better a living dog than a dead lion, says Solomon. Men are like lions, brazen, bold. Better a living dog, my friend, than a dead lion. How do you see yourself? Here is a man who is humble. Again, could he claim any thing? What was his, his uncle's name who was king? Ishbosheth, which means man of shame. His name, Mephibosheth, breathing shame. That's us, really. We can't claim anything in our lives, can we? Any good, any virtue. He was a fearful recipient also, verse 7. David said, fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness. My friends, this is kindness and the mercy of God as we've seen to a dead dog. And that's how the Lord deals with us. If we don't see ourselves as dead, as it were. You know, Paul said, when the law came, I died. I I was as if I, I, I was a dead man. Had no righteousness before God. Well, David restores to Mephibosheth, verse 9 and onwards, all Saul's land. Verse 9, and the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul. Notice that. And to all his house. That's amazing. Isn't it? 
And it was all done at the command of the king. And he sits at his table. Now one can only imagine the talk at the table there. What some of David's wicked sons were. Must have been terrible really. But there you have it. Now let me just say this. David, there are some people that say when you come to this passage you can't treat David as a foreshadowing or a type of Christ. Well, I believe you can. Some say, well, it's just abuse of the text. Well, there are many reasons why we can say that David can rightly be seen here as pointing us to Christ. First of all, it was the spirit of Christ in David. When you think about it, this is not the spirit of the world. The very covenant promise that he made was before the Lord. And David calls it the kindness of God. And Jonathan calls it the kindness of God. And it was kept for the sake of the honor of God. And remember this, every promise that we make is before the Lord. And so Mephibosheth is only receiving the benefits of David because of that love that Jonathan and David knew together as brothers in the Lord, as united together. And so it is. The father and the son covenanted together. And do we realize this? The church is the love gift of the father to the son. And the two shall be one flesh. Just as God brought Adam and Eve together, and God brought them together, God provided them a wife and said, Adam, here is your wife. And so it is with the church. That's the kindness. And let me say again, I'm emphasizing that it was the very spirit of Christ that was in David. Because David was born again. Remember when David sinned, he said, Lord, remove not thy spirit from me. And remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, He that hath not the spirit of Christ is none of his. David was filled with the spirit of God. And this, of course, of course is the, 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 the plan and purpose of Almighty God. So that as David promised before the Lord to Jonathan that his house would continue. And it shall. And there was a promise too to Adam and Eve, wasn't there? That the seed of the woman would come into this world, Jesus Christ. And that is only how man will... Let me say it, put it this way. Unless the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, humanity would cease to exist entirely. There would be no humanity in heaven. It will be a glorified humanity. But it was through that covenant promise, Genesis 3.15. And what is true, we see the spirit of Christ in David. As we have said, David shows a remarkable, gracious spirit. Remember what the Lord Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It's not the Lord Jesus there is not saying that you... 
you're going to earn mercy. Rather, he is saying, these are the members of my kingdom because the Spirit of Christ is in those people. They are blessed. In other words, those who are merciful reflect the very fact that they have been shown mercy. It's reflective that they are children of the covenant of grace. And they are gracious people. And they do good even to their enemies. There's so many things to to point out, but we're meant to see here David as a type because, firstly, David is Christ-like. And uh, David acted in a Christ-like way. And so it's because of the grace of God was in him. And that's important to see. And we have this teaching in so many passages of Scripture. David was seen as a king. And uh, David, we know from his line, would come the Lord Jesus Christ, who would sit upon that eternal throne. Jonathan believed by the word of God from Samuel. But he believed because David was walking according to the Spirit of God as well, that this is the man. And it's only through the God-man, Jesus Christ, that we would have any acceptance with God. He's the messenger of the covenant. And David only behaved this way because of the Spirit of Christ that was within him. And it's true of everyone. You want to know whether you're a Christian. Look at your fruit of your life. It's true, isn't it? Remember, Peter came to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He said, till seven times. Lord Jesus said, nay, until seven times, but 70 times seven. He was saying on and on and on. Not just 77 times, but you carry on. In other words, those who truly have been saved. And then he he. he, he gave that parable. Remember the man that owed a great debt and he was forgiven, but he didn't forgive somebody else. And the Lord says, cast him and bind him and throw him away. That's a picture of a lost person. That's what the parable is meant to teach us, that God's people are a forgiving people. And that is how David was. It shows that Christ was in him and showing him that Really, and the people around that he was not like the rest. David was not like the world. And the Christian is not like the world. The person that cannot forgive is an unsaved person, my friend. Unsaved. Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Remember what he said, you come later on in that passage, You've heard it said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. Don't do evil against them. Leave place for wrath to God. That's the spirit, isn't it? That's what David did. Friend, have we been shown mercy? We will show it in our attitude toward other people. Let me say this, Christ-likeness comes from Christ. It doesn't come from anywhere else. 
And that's why we say here that all of the passages that I've read show that the grace of God shows itself in people who have been changed by his grace. And David was pointing us to the great one who said, Come and learn of me. I am meek and lowly. My friend, are you meek? Are you lowly? Well, there are many lessons to learn. But here especially is the picture of grace. One day, friends, do you realize we who are dead dogs, and because of our sins, our sins have cast us as far as the east is from the west. No more will God remember our transgressions because of grace, because of the Lord Jesus. And therefore, if we are Christ, we will show ourselves to be merciful. David was not only a picture of Christ, but what of all God's people are to be Christ-like. I pray that we will be, and we'll show ourselves to be. We're not perfect, of course, but may God work his grace in us through Jesus Christ. God has his people. Just as Mephibosheth was called here, nobody else but Mephibosheth, a most unlikely, a most unworthy person. Such are God's people. That's how they see themselves. Oh, friend, may we apply this to our hearts. If we're saved, what can we say? Thanks be to God for his gift. What could Mephibosheth say? He couldn't claim any family good, could he? No, not really. But it was based on the love that Jonathan had and David had with Jonathan. And that's all we can claim as Christians in Jesus Christ, the love of the Father in giving his dear son a bride. An unworthy bride, though we are, aren't we? May we show thankfulness. Can you imagine the thankfulness of Mephibosheth at the table every day? Amazing it must have been. What a contrast between David's sons and Mephibosheth. May God reveal to sinners today their unworthiness and the love of Jesus Christ toward poor sinners, we pray. For his name's sake. Amen.